Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Ben Lipschitz, Managing Director at Food by Us, about how to sell and market technology products and solutions into industries that are considered traditional and have a low level of technology adoption. On that note, let's dive in. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, let's uh, let's dive in. So, I think let's first define what we mean by traditional, right? And and, and let's do that in the sense of uh, food by us. Tell us a little bit. Give us a bit of a picture about the industries or the industry that you are selling into and, and you're you're working in. Okay, sure. So, I mean, quick elevator pitch is that we're a one-stop shop for restaurants to order from all of their wholesale food providers. So it's sort of like an aggregator. We bring all of these uh, wholesale food providers together, and then a chef would come in and you know, order from meat, seafood, fruit, veg, you name it. And the reason that even exists, and I guess the current environment, is that you've got chefs basically using a whole range of different ordering methods. They can be quite traditional and quite stuck in their ways as, I guess, a customer group. And so they're really quite happy with texting one person, faxing another, emailing another, having no oversight into what orders are going out. And chefs often work in teams and they just don't really see it as a problem that, you know, Ben can order from that one supplier and a different chef on the same day could order literally from that exact same supplier, either doubling up or not really aligning. That's the kind of environment, I guess, that we deal in. Yeah, and you know, I I firsthand have seen this. I, I had a uh, housemate who was a sous chef at Number Thirty Five in Melbourne. So you know, it's 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 a fairly up there in terms of restaurant, and it it coming from from tech background and and the tech space, it just amazed me how. You know, this is he was pretty high up in the in the hierarchy of, of chefs, and and I was just amazed of, of uh, how how they they worked with technology. So, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced bringing a technology product into uh, into this space. Yeah, I think that a lot of it is the person you're selling to personally understanding there is a better way. And so the first thing is really helping them understand this is a problem because most of them wouldn't really wake up every day and think, God, my procurement methods and how I source suppliers and how I price compare those suppliers and how I do reporting on my my business and my kitchen is broken because, you know, at face value, it might not be broken. I think there's an educational piece there. And then I think the getting getting their head around that, but then the big, big one is a, a behavioral shift. Okay, so having established in their mind that, you know, this is a problem, and some of them are onto it that it is a problem. Some of them take a bit of, I think, education. And then it's saying, all right, we have a solution. Great. That behavioral shift can, can be, you know, quite, I think, a big challenge when, when you're talking about tech in, in, in that space. So 
acknowledging that it's great, fine, looks great, works, user interface, here's a million different reviews, here's um, a cost analysis which shows you how it's beneficial, but then you could go and visit that exact same customer a week or two later and having tried once or twice on your platform, they're just back to their old ways. Uh, why? Because that's what they knew. Maybe they got stressed. Maybe they got busy. Maybe there's a few different changing staff. Uh, they didn't want to train the new staff on the, on the new methods and back they go. So it's that behavioral change. And, and normally it's really just a question of like a learned new habit. And chefs and kitchens can be quite structured. So once that structure, I, I think, is shifted, then they're in and, and they're permanently there. Uh, but you got to hold the hand just, just a little bit in the beginning. Did you find that you kind of lost your audience when you start talking about technology to, to, the, uh, to the hospitality space? Yeah, in a, in a certain sense, although what we perceive, I guess, our core strength to be is technology. And we've got a bunch of web developers and that's what we're thinking every day is the product roadmap. And in all of this, what I would call like in-house lingo, you would never talk about it in those terms to, to chefs or to anyone in the industry. You know, it's a way to make your ordering better. It's a, it's a place to do your procurement. It's a comparison place to look at different pricing. You know, that, that kind of terminology. We're a one-stop shop for suppliers. Things we tend to sort of steer away from just because it seems technical and complicated and, and maybe expensive and it's not, it's actually a free service. Where we steer away from things like marketplace or, uh, you know, we're the Amazon of, of food service. You know, we're an aggregator, we're an engine. All that stuff is not really what lingo that you want to throw at, at a chef. You know, they, they know what they're doing. They know how to supply, how to get supplies. They know how to do procurement. You're really trying to help them on that journey. That's the problem from their point of view. They're not looking to be on some fancy tech platform and they're certainly not impressed by, by lingo like that. So we just don't, we don't really use that lingo uh, externally. How did you discover that that was a challenge? Like what, what, what happened was that, you know, from, from the beginning, right at the beginning, did you know that? Like you like, oh no, we shouldn't be talking about marketplace and stuff like that. Or was that something yeah. that you had to learn through kind of trial and error? You get pummeled into submission. That's, that's the answer to that question. So, um, you, you know, what excites me about the business and what excites us and us internally is that innovation and, and the tech and the roadmap and, and how we're really pushing, I think, the boundaries of how we integrate with Zero and how we do this. We've got APIs. Great. All cool stuff. Uh, then you go to talk to someone about it externally. And, you know, best case, best case, it's going to go over their head best case worst case they think that you're talking nonsense uh, they, they, they're not clear on what you're actually saying they think you're trying to get something out of them that's going to cost them money you know they're very busy you're the fifth drop-in unannounced appointment that they've had that day you know so very very quickly we, we learn to just focus on them as the customer focus on them in terms of the problem focus on them in terms of their world visit them in their kitchen see what's actually going on uh, and then very quickly you just learn uh, maybe what excites us and how we do it, not so exciting for them. For them, it's about solving the problem. And that's, that's, the, that's the kind of framing that we use. That is, that's interesting. So you're saying that you actually went in into people's kitchens and, and spent time with them to really get a good understanding of their world. Is that, is it, did you actually, did you and the team actually did that? A hundred percent. And we still do. In the kitchen, you will see all of the receipts from the suppliers that are just 
splayed everywhere so you can see all the paperwork that's not really organized and you'll also see them writing on a whiteboard that's just kind of on the wall in a kitchen as to what they need for the following day and you'll see the communication within the kitchen as to someone who's in charge of ordering say the fruit veg and someone who's in charge of ordering you know the meat and then you've got a, a different part of the restaurant uh, responsible for ordering the alcohol and you'll just see the complete you know, I, I guess uh, it's ripe, ripe for miscommunication. And you get it in an instant when you're there. And then you can sit and talk and, you know, learn their way of working. How's my solution actually going to help you? What time of day do you order? How do you order? Show me. Let's place an order together with one of your existing suppliers. That's the learning. And if you're not immersing yourself in that environment, it's really hard to build a good product. And it's even harder to sell it to the next guy because... You know, there's just, just no empathy. That how, how are you going to really understand what they're going through on a day-to-day basis if you haven't seen it? So, yeah, super important. I was just going to say our head counts more than 60 now, and I make it a habit even as as a founder to get out there and, yeah, chat to buyers, chat to chefs, get in the kitchen. It's, it's so important, yeah. I want to come back to this. I was having flashbacks when you said... Obviously, I have I well, not obviously, but I haven't been into a, you know, sophisticated kitchen of a restaurant. Um, but I was having flashbacks of our kitchen when I was sharing my house with my housemate that I told you about that he was a sous chef. And we did have a whiteboard. And I always looked at the whiteboard. I was like, you know, it's an interesting concept to have a whiteboard and write stuff write stuff on it. And you just said that. And I was, and it just, the, the light bulb went on. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. This is like, this is best practice in in their space. Um, so, uh, so thank you very much for clarifying that for me. But I think you've you've touched on this, and it's it's a it's a fascinating point that you were going and still are sitting down with your customers. You know, in in our agency, we get tasked quite a lot to build a value prop for a campaign or, or you know, a, a broader piece of work. And sometimes we don't have access to customers and we sit down with sales and marketing teams and, and we're like, okay, we need really granular understanding of the pain points that, that your customers go through. And it fascinates me how often they will not be able to uh, articulate that. And they would articulate that in a in in their world like exactly what you were saying where they would talk about the marketplace and they would talk about an aggregator how an aggregator solves their problem have you systemized this kind of customer feedback in the organization or you know have you put a process in place how does that you know is there anything like that in in place at the at the company yeah, absolutely. Particularly now we're pushing past a thousand regular users, you know, weekly or often daily in terms of, like I said, restaurants are often creatures of habit. So once the habit's formed and it's, it's they're going to order through food by us, um, that activity is happening all the time. And so you can't really scalably build a product unless you've got processes in place for how you're going to look at all that. So uh, yes, we, we do make, I guess, a certain cadence, I would say, of, of going and having these meetings. That's me and my product team. And we make sure we, uh, from a process point of view, don't just meet with the same customers and don't just meet with the same type of customer. Because keep in mind, we're dealing with caterers and cafes and restaurants and pubs, so they are all different. So one is 
the process is making sure that we cover a good cross-section and we do it on a regular basis. Then the second part is, what are we actually asking them about? Are we just handing them a phone and saying, show me how you use it, so that we're just kind of looking for where they might be blocks? Or do we have a product idea? And we want to show them mock-ups and actually go through, hey, we know you're having this problem. This is what we're thinking of doing. So it, the process is quite structured. You're not just going and having chat. But then there's a third part, which is I would say we augment a lot of that qualitative data with all of our website analytics. So we are looking at where people are clicking, visiting, where they're dropping off. You know, are, are there certain features that we thought were really cool, but the way that we've built it in terms of how it looks or feels, it's, they're not actually interacting with it enough. And so we, we layer that on top of, I think, the more sort of qualitative micro research and then we'll come together as a product team, usually quarterly and, you know, hash it all out. But it's, yeah, it's, we're too big now, I think, to just go out and kind of wing it in how we're dealing with the chef and the problems are too, like, nuanced to just kind of hope that we get there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's, I think that is, there's a system a lot more companies need to incorporate in, in how they, um, how to do kind of customer discovery and, and, and getting a better understanding of the customer. One of the things that um, you talk about is, you know, you, you, you've, you've tried to um, build the company and the company culture around the customer. And we've touched on this a little bit, mm-hmm. but can you elaborate a little bit more on that? What do you mean by that? So we like to say the customer's voice is the loudest voice in the room. And I think what, what we're really trying to say is, there's a lot of competing needs. Uh, there's what I, as a founder, think, you know, how I'm trying to build the business, where I'm trying to take us. And I'm also, you know, we've got a board, we've got investors. So there's that element of it. And then there's internal sort of salespeople wanting to do certain things and how they're trying to obviously grow our footprint and operational, you know, challenges and what ops wants. All of this is coming together. So there's a lot of voices in the room. And like any startup, you know, limited resources. So will always say, okay, well, what is the customer saying about this problem? How big of a priority is it to them? How do they want it fixed? Um, you know, any customers leaving or considering leaving uh, because of what we're trying to talk about? That anchors everyone, I think. And and then a lot of it kind of around that, people will quite quickly drop away. Even me, I'll sort of realize I want to go there, but I'm realizing, you know, this is... This is a more important problem. It's a higher priority because the customers are, are, are sort of talking about it. And it sounds, I think it sounds fairly obvious and like a lot of businesses, you know, they want to say they're, they're customer focused, but you know, when you're a high growth startup and you've got so many competing needs and so much opportunity, you, you know, you can quite quickly, I think, get confused about what the priorities ought to be, but not when you focus on the customer, it becomes quite sharp, particularly when you're dealing with chefs. <laughs> they will yeah, let you know. I, I, <laughs> very quickly very quickly I, I like that i remember you know you talked yeah. about you know the amazon of of this and the amazon of that earlier and and i remember reading about how amazon does it as well where you talked about board and and uh how they in there i don't know if, if, if you've heard of this but I, I can't remember where i read it but at amazon in all the board meetings and the leadership meetings there's one chair that is empty um, right in the middle of the uh, of the table, and that's the customer, and it's it's uh, it, it resembles the uh, it, it's supposed to be for the customer, and, and it gets pointed at. So I, I I love that. How how have you reconfigured the the kind of lead generation in the sales process? I mean, we're we're kind of moving into that direction. How how has that changed 
throughout the kind of life cycle mm-hmm. of the company as you've you've become more focused and more aware of the customer needs and, and some of the challenges that, uh, that you face? How, how has that changed? I think it evolves based on your understanding of the problem you're trying to solve and then also where your technology is at in being able to solve that problem. So I'll give some examples. So we're talking about hospitality industry, okay? So when we talk about Legion, you know, there's gold everywhere. I mean, there's, there's 90,000 independent venues in Australia, cafes, restaurants, whatever. So you're starting out, you're looking at Legion, it's like knock on every door, you know. But then maybe you start to realize that certain groups, you know, they, they've got franchise arrangements and there's no way that they're sort of going to be flexible enough or have a need for a one-stop shop, you know, they're, they're okay, so maybe not that customer. Some are too large, some are, you know, not ready to adopt technology or, or whatever, whatever. So, um, or maybe your product mix isn't right for them. So we didn't have packaging or alcohol in the beginning and, you know, you're going to hit a customer and they say, or a lead and they say, look, I really want to use you for everything, but you don't have these certain things. So in terms of lead generation, I think a lot of it is trying to understand in the first instance, you know, what, what is our you know, least effort for highest reward kind of customer, even in the sea of customers that we know we could get one day. And then really, really lead scoring and, and curating through. We've gone through Uber Eats or Deliveroo or whatever network of restaurants. So we can see all the restaurants, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands. Google Maps, pick it. Okay, whatever. So we've got all of these leads, great. What are the attributes that we're going to use to lead score, which we know based on sort of all the trial and error we've done so far are going to make them our, our best bet for worth calling, worth dropping in on, worth kind of going through the sales process. Because at the end of the day, I mean, at least in our industry, there's just so much opportunity and there's so many restaurants and there's so much suitability, I think, of what we're trying to do that you can kind of start grabbing at everything. So our lead gen process has evolved to make sure that we're scoring and I guess focusing and prioritizing. That's that's probably what I'm trying to say. And then as we release new features or new categories to voting, we can open up how we lead score and hit perhaps a broader section of customers. But that that valve opens outward rather than, you know, trying to get everything at once. Got it. Okay. Love that. So, so basically you've gone, you've gone even further niche than just quote unquote hospitality vertical. Is that right? I, I think you have to because yes, I mean, if you look at our industry size, just ignoring QSR, so ignoring quick service, that's McDonald's KFC. Yeah, we'll never service them. That's fine. So we've still got $20 billion dollars. In terms of wholesale food purchased by independent venues every year, and 90,000 of them. And this is just in Australia. Okay, that's a lot. So, yeah, hospitality industry, but within that, so important to identify who you're actually helping and with what you've got today. You can evolve your product over time and reach into new customers and all that. But, um, you know, certainly in the beginning as well, we were just kind of going up the food chain, down the food chain, like trying to, trying to sell every which way and it's a bit of a land grab and it's fun but you know you you want like a solid customer set and you've got to really find the right product market fit in the beginning so yeah got it got it. was that the biggest challenge from a product market fit in the early days for for uh, for you and the company it was one of yeah i think working out quite who we're suited for and then tailoring our lead gen and our sales process around that was and being patient to not you know go for all the big fish straight away was definitely a challenge 
I would say being technology and marketplace experts, but coming into wholesale food procurement, that was also a challenge. Just learning that learning process of really understanding what the product needs to be, how it's helping them, and then adapting your sales approach around that, I think was was quite a big challenge in the beginning. We had a lot of, I think, learning and catching up to do. And now, now we're sort of there and we can point our, our skill set, our tech and all that in the right way, in the right direction. But in the beginning, you're coming up with features you think are cool and it's, it's, it's not quite meshing yet because you're not an industry expert yet. And, and so some of those initial launches of features and how we sold was just like a flop. We thought it was cool, but yeah. Yeah, and then you bring it, it, it up to an industry better. industry expert and they're like, yeah, nah, we will never use that. And you're like, oh my goodness, all that work. Or, or I mean, yeah, they won't use it or maybe they say that's not as important as this other thing that you're just not doing. <laughs> Like you're giving me the bells and whistles, but you know, point one is, you know, th- this feature is just not, it's not even there yet. So yeah. Got it. Now, Ben, I have a couple of rapid fire questions that I want to ask you, but before I kind of get to that, is there anything else with regards to um, selling into the traditional, in a, in a tr- traditional vertical or product market fit or kind of building a customer, building a culture around the customer? Anything else that I haven't touched that you think it would be important for us to cover? I think that we haven't really touched on, but we use a lot of data and a lot of KPIs and a lot of measuring. So I think that's that's really important. So for us, you know, product market fit, tick, and once we sort of start to understand the customer more, great. But then it sort of settles into, I think, a, a team structure and a cadence of how your reps are organized, your, your field sales team, for example, and what good looks like, how many visits they should be doing, or calls, visits, you know, closures, all of that, and keeping everyone accountable, not in a competitive way where everyone's kind of looking over their shoulder to see who's beating them or how they're doing, but objective measures and be able to say to your team, we know there are this many restaurants, we know where we want to be, we know you need to be closing this many, and we we know through our CRM and our data and da-da-da-da-da what good looks like. It helps the team focus and it also helps iron out any kinks like in the sales process and quickly work with those team members to say, okay, this is where you might be going wrong. So we do a, a lot of that, and that, that kind of is more pointing towards what I was talking earlier about scale, where we we are very focused on the data and making sure that the, each team member can get where we need them to be so that the broader company is is hitting goals. Otherwise, it can unravel, you know, really, really quickly. Got it, got it. So, so what, what you're trying to say is, or what you're saying just... Correct me if I'm wrong. You've, you've, it sounds like you put a lot, lot more structure around, uh, around your sales team, and you have regular cadences that you will be sitting down and, and looking at that KPIs. Is this? Are we talking like weekly? We're we talking about quarterly. We're we talking about monthly. What, what, what are we? What are we talking about? Yeah. Well, there's live dashboards all the time. So I think um, maybe I, the, the cadence I would say is you know the rhythm of how they need to go in their job. But I mean, mm. what I'm really saying is the measures, the KPIs. They're very clear on all the activity, the underlying activity that's going to get us the sales that we need and being able to sit with any member of the team and understand if your job is to make phone calls and make sure that you can make bookings, how many calls are you making, you know, what's your booking rate, da-da-da-da-da. But then if you're a field sales rep, for example, and your job is to go out and close those deals and really get these people onto the platform, how many visits are you having? You know, what are the objections you're getting? Are you logging this all? And so on and so on. And these are, you know, 
all fairly, I, I guess, straightforward examples, but monitoring that and making it really clear what good looks like and what those KPIs are, that's a key thing Got it. for us. Way beyond how we sell or product market fit or empathy for the customer. I mean, those things you iron out fairly early, but from a scale point of view, you really want, and we really want to make sure, all right, we can get where we want to be if we hit these numbers. And if we don't, right. it's a problem. And here's, here's why. Yeah. Get your, get your numbers right. Okay. No, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Let's talk about some rapid fire questions. I got four of them. So the first one yeah. is what is one resource? It could be a book, blog, podcast, talk, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live. It's a good question. Cause I, I really couldn't put it down to one. Um, give me a couple. I, give me, like, I, I can take a couple. I, I like, I guess I like a lot of different podcasts and I in particular like to hear stories of how other entrepreneurs have, have done it. So, so how I built this, um, Guy Raz is obviously really popular. I think a really, really good podcast. And, and I think Tim Ferriss has some really, really interesting stuff as well. Anything and biographies and things like that. You know, there's, there's a lot of Walter Isaacson is an author. I read a lot. Who's, who's done some really, really cool biographies. He just did one actually on, um, it's called Code Breakers. And it's all about gene editing technology and the team that won the Nobel Prize for, for basically discovering, you know, gene editing or the latest technology in gene editing. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is all the stuff I think shows, yeah, it's really, really cool. So for, a lot, for me, a lot of it is learning from challenges that other people have faced and whether it's in a podcast or a, or a book or whatever and trying to understand, I guess, some of their problem-solving approaches and also the gravity of their challenges. And it can be really, really good, I think, when you're going through your own business challenges to just kind of take a step back and see how others have done it. I, I tend not to look at, I guess, how-tos. So I, I, I haven't read or you know, listened to a podcast of a specific way because I think that worked for them. Mm. And so I, I tend not to sort of look at like skills-based things where it's like, well, this is how you sell or this is because it tends to have worked for them in that situation. And whilst you can glean some messages and, and learnings from it, 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 I think it runs the risk of saying, well, we'll just do that in our business, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I hear you. It's, it's um, yeah, it, it has worked for them at that time of the business, at the size that yeah. they were in the environment that they were, and it's very risky to kind of try to replicate yeah. it. Question number two is, if you could give one advice to, um, to, kind of B2B marketers and salespeople, but also on a, on a leadership scale, what would that advice be? Definitely solve the problem. Solve the problem, solve the problem. You know, B2B is all about this other business really trying in their own way to do what they're doing. They've got a very acute real problem. Okay, It's not like B2C where it could be based on trends, it could be based on you know what's in fashion or popular or, or whatever. In B2B, I think you've got to really empathetically understand that business and everything that they're going through, step one. Uh, and that can be really, really hard. But they are not gonna like it. they're not going to buy it because they like you. They're not going to buy it because it's popular. They're not going to buy it because the business next door is using it. That it, Just forget it. I totally throw that stuff out the window. Yeah. All right. Love it. Number three. What are some of the influencers that you you follow? I, I I feel like you already mentioned a few. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, I love um, yeah, I love those podcasts that I mentioned. Another few podcasts I listen to. I really like Sam Harris. 
very, very interesting sort of can get quite deep and introspective. And I, I quite like that. Uh, so it's got some interesting, interesting sort of intellectual pursuits and in how he looks at things. Yeah, I would say though, those are the major ones. And then also just talking to other entrepreneurs, I think is always really, really helpful. So yeah, I, I keep, I think, a, a, a broad and open network of different people doing different businesses and, and just bouncing off them. Like, no one, I think, understands what you're going through more as a business than like other business owners. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we did touch on that a bit earlier with regards to working after dinner. But uh, no, that, that sounds yeah. good. Last, last one is what is something that excites you about, about B2B? I think the best thing for me about B2B is you're solving a real problem. You know, mm. you're, you're really, really contributing to how other businesses run. And because those businesses run better, uh, everything runs better. So there's a very real tangible benefit and a good feeling you get at the end of the day, knowing that your product or service really, really helped that person. So um, I also like that B2B kind of operates behind the scenes. It's not about sort of being big or popular or, or, or you know, I guess getting the most notoriety for, for me you, you're sort of helping other businesses be their best business and I, I really like that concept it's something that I identify with yeah love it that's awesome Ben that was uh, that was, those are the questions I want to ask I think this was a I really enjoyed our conversation I think there were some really amazing golden nuggets that you dropped there uh, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of our audience is gonna gonna enjoy it as much as I did. So thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack growthcolony.org forward slash slack thanks again for all the support and we're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one